Hello and welcome to Mac Bites, episode 73. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, a vice, a four-inch nail and a pair of rubber gloves, but more of that later. Indeed, start as you mean to go on. Yes, first of all, we heard from Gav Richardson, who admitted he thinks he's brought shame on his entire household by finding the fish and tip site for <laughs> Mac Bites. We'll probably need a good old-fashioned file and tidy now. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, I had many, many happy hours reading their site. Brilliant. And uh, Gav also confirmed which apps he used that he needs Windows for. We mentioned that uh, last episode, I think it was. We were curious, yeah. weren't we? Well, tag and rename for audio files, which was one of your favourites, wasn't it? Absolutely love that app. There is nothing equivalent on Mac. Sadly. He actually says no app works as well on a Mac. Easy CDA, Easy CDDA extractor. I think I used that one, but it was probably a while ago. And Word, Excel, and Access. Mm, I don't really use Word, Excel, and Access. No PowerPoint. PowerPoint mm. uh, on occasions, on occasions. Well, and now, of course, I've got the Mac version for my sins. But no, I don't use Access. I kind of pensioned that off. But uh, yes, that's what um, I do actually have those three in my VM as well. Well, I did say it would be music related, so I was sort of right, apart from the word, word Excel and Access. True, true, indeed. I'll let you off then. My word, you were right. Okay, we also heard from James, James of Woodpad fame, who had what I can only describe as the kindest, most generous offer of the week, don't you think? Yeah, remind me what that was. Well, uh, having listened to the show and heard all about Fish and Tips... He assures us that he can offer the same service with a vice, a four-inch nail, oh, and some rubber gloves, <laughs> uh, which he kindly offered publicly on Twitter. Minster, however, Minster, you've let us down there, came back and said, hey, I'm not having anything pierced, even if it's free. I mean, how ungrateful can you get? There is a, such a kind offer there. Mind you, do you know, James never said it was free. It could be a, a new sideline for him. Very true. Anyway, anyway, it, uh, I would say enough with fish and tips, but no, we heard from Carrie with a K as well. Now I say Carrie with a K because we also have Carrie with a C, spelt totally differently. But um, Carrie with a K says, guys, how do you do it? I didn't think the fish and tips saga could get any funnier, but power tools, LOL. Must thank you for the fantastic advice about accessing Outlook PSTs on a Mac too. I've several of those. I dare, I dare not even think about how to access them on my Mac. But since the show, I've tried PST Bridge on your recommendation and it's fantastic. Looking forward to the next show. And here with is the next show. Yes, and continuing the theme of PSTs, Alistair contacted us and said, uh, very interesting, have you considered converting the PSTs to mail and then opening an extra Gmail account and uploading them to that? It would keep the separation and make searching stellar. Do you know, I... I had heard of that but um, I had problems trying to transfer mail from one account to another. I think what I was trying to do was send it on and I think Alistair's just given me a bit of an idea there of how I could do it without actually doing that so um, I think I might just try that one. Yeah I, I hadn't thought of doing that but it's a great idea like you say and not only will it keep the separation but all the mail will be in one place rather than being spread across multiple PSTs and it'll also be accessible from anywhere in a browser so it would, be, it would actually be handy for me for, for work if I, for some reason, want to go and look at a mail in a PST from 10 years ago. Yeah, well, yeah, you might do that, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't treat my mail like that so I haven't actually looked at it but um, he's quite right when he says that it, it would make the searching stellar because 
I do have a desktop mail client, obviously, but I do find that the Google website's far faster for searching anyway. So a lot of the time, if I do need to search for a mail in my main account, I will go to the website rather than use a desktop client anyway. So yes, I can see that that might work rather well. I've got an automated backup system going on, um, which I'll talk about in a future show. Uh, so s similar to that, but I've not done it where I was bulk uploading. I, I, I'm liking that idea. Oh, I can see an, a nice summer holiday job there, can't you? I know how to live. You do, yes. Mm. Um, Dan also came, Dan Atkinson also came back to me on Twitter and said that he thought it was uh, very interesting as well, but would it work on 10-year-old um, Outlook? Now, it should work on, on any version of Outlook for Windows because they all support PSTs as far as I'm aware. Yes, it was 2000, the 2003 version that I think I set it up on. And it was really because it just does get very, very slow. It gets bogged down when the PST gets quite large. And there is a maximum size limit on a PST as well. And it isn't just the mail that's in that PST that seems to count to the size. It seems to have that problem that Excel and Access in particular does. You know where you need to do a compact and repair? Yeah. And you lose 90% of the file size. But the PST management just doesn't seem up to that. Um, I have, I'm sure I've explained on my advice. Remember my sad PST loss? I remember it well. I went through this whole process to recover this corrupt PST and the last step was delete it and start again. I thought, just a minute, all the mail's in it. Uh, and at the time it was pop mail, the, the mail didn't exist anywhere else. So PST is not particularly a fantastic file format to work with, hence separating them and you sort of spread the risk. So yes, it should work right back to the very first version, to be honest, which I think was 97, wasn't it? Was it 97 or 95? I can't remember. No, it wasn't 95. That only had uh, Word, Excel, Access and PowerPoint. So Must I think have been 97. 97. There, was so, there was something before Outlook, though, wasn't there? Um, forgotten what it was called. I don't think I used it. Scheduler. <laughs> was it Microsoft Scheduler? Oh, you must be kidding. That was a calendar thing, wasn't was it? Was it? I can't remember. Gold star for any listener who can tell us what it was anyway. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Alistair was also um, came back to us about time zones, which we discussed on the last show regarding um, busy calendar, do not copy and paste week. Or in this case, three weeks. Yes. He said, all this time zone shenanigans worries me when the problem was actually solved reliably many years ago by a plucky Brit. On the Acorn Archimedes was their homegrown operating system, Risk OS. Every timestamp in this OS was stored and transmitted as UTC. Which is, is that universal? Yes, it is. Same um, as GMT. Yeah, it's the, the kind of stake in the ground, isn't it? It is. Only when the user entered or displayed a time was the local time zone employed. So if in New Zealand I entered 17.40, Friday, March the 22nd, it would automatically be stored as 4.40, Friday, March the 22nd, UTC. When you read that in the UK, it would automatically apply the GMT conversion and show, well, the same time because UTC equals GMT on that date. When entering times in non-local time zones, you just specify the time zone and it thinks locally to that zone, always in the context of the date entered and whether local daylight saving is in force. If you always go via the unchanging UTC, the only issue you have is knowing the daylight saving time switchover point and then it's easy. This was sorted in RiskOS around 1990 before the web even existed. Because, yeah, last week I actually had to check all the... Um, all the dates for British summertime going forward for the next 10 years for something spreadsheet I was building. So 
Um, yeah, it's, it's handy that it was actually written into the operating system. It's the way to go. I can't understand why people struggle so much myself. Because I think when you've got, in our case, we have whole ranges of webinars and meetings. So I don't struggle with time zones. And to me, they're really simple. You just always go back to UTC. But other people, I think, are trying to convert Pacific time to mid-European time. And they're not taking it back through UTC. And then it does become more complicated but as Alistair said there really is no need for it it's not complicated it's just the implementation is different seemingly in every piece of software I look at and that seems to then lead to things breaking which um, is where we're at with BusyCal. Yeah he uh, he finishes with a question as well which I think this is a question for you there's really no such thing as Pacific time to a computer what happens in BusyCal if you specify Pacific daylight time if that doesn't work as it should, then can you fool it with Pacific Standard Time, even though that's actually invalid after the switchover? Um, sadly not, no. How it works, uh, or how my, my implementation works, um, when you choose... I actually find it a little bit difficult in, uh, I think it's iCal. iCal does it, or calendar as it now is, with a map, which presupposes that you know on a world map where the time zone actually is, and it's quite a small window. BusyCal does it differently. It's a drop-down list, and it lists every time zone. The thing is, when um, the US switched to uh, summertime, the only options that were available were daylight saving time. So you couldn't go back and choose another one anyway. So no, I couldn't go back and choose standard time. It just wasn't listed. That dialog box seems to be populated with, uh, it seems to know when the time changes have occurred. And that is the only option that is available. I tested it just before we came on air and it's still doing it. So instead of changing the relative time, it's still changing the original time. So I'm thinking BusyCal must populate its locations with the knowledge it's now summertime and there is no option to go back to that level of granularity. I would much prefer to, uh, if everybody called their meeting times in UTC, and just had their calendar showing it to them in local time, no one would have a problem. But people don't like to do that. I get a million emails a week saying, what time is that in? You know, fill in the blank. And then I'm online looking for, for their time zone. Oh, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Maybe one day we'll get it all sorted out. But we're not there yet and neither is BusyCal, unfortunately. But thank you very much for that, Alistair. That's exactly how it should be done, I think. Yes. And we also heard from Derek, who says, I've just caught up with MacBite72, brilliant as usual, and heard your request for Windows 8 menus, which you've probably sorted by now. But apparently, if you hover your mouse in any of the four corners, additional hidden menus appear, which allow you to define your own settings and set your own preferences. Hope this helps. I've tried that, and it was like playing whack-a-mole. Yes, you could say that. Um, I inadvertently found a solution, but I did try what Derek's suggesting there. I did find it very difficult. It's the equivalent of hot corners, isn't it? Mm, and I yeah. think, is it is it just the right-hand side or is it every corner? Let's have a look. I couldn't get it working effectively or, or consistently, no matter what I did. But you are supposed to sort ah, of move the mouse up, but you have to do it quite slowly. It's actually not right in the corner, either. No, it's not. Um... Yeah. And there's no indication of precisely where it is, is there? No, until your mouse pointer changes to a hand. I'm doing it now, and it is, as you say, it's like whack-a-mole. You just have to move that mouse far too slow for my liking to actually get it to change and then realise that that means something. Um, it's not obvious. Nothing actually appears until ooh, you like hold ooh, it steady. Ooh, what have I done? 
You see, you're in Windows <laughs> in the middle of a MacBytes. It's not going to end well. Uh, top right and top left. Uh, I thought it was top right, bottom right, but never mind. Anyway, I've inadvertently found a different solution, thankfully. Totally inadvertently. I was trying to access Launch Bar, which I have um, mapped to Command and Space, and um, Launch Bar did nothing. But I got taken back with alarming rapidity to the Metro interface, which we're not supposed to be calling the Metro interface anymore, are we? The tiley bit. The tiley bit, yes. The tiley bit. Um, it's the Command key. Command key equals the Windows key. And apparently, if you tap that, you get taken back to the tiley bit. So um, I'm using the command key at the moment for that. But I did try the bit Derek's talking about. It does give you more options. It actually pops up a semi-transparent menu on your right-hand side. And from there, you can navigate through Windows 8. But to be honest, it's horrible, isn't it? It's like... Um, I watched a George Clooney film a long time ago. What was that thing called? From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, yes, From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> it felt much longer. Um, it started off, I had no idea what this film was about. Um, it started off as a standard thriller type film and then sort of in the middle, it, it changed. It completely morphed into this bizarre zombie-like thing. And I always said to you, it's like a Frankenstein film. It reaches a point in the middle where it just totally changes. And Windows 8's like that. You've got two interfaces fighting there. The, the keys aren't the same. The navigation isn't the same. Some apps work in both environments. Some work in one and not the other. And, oh, it, it's it's not good. I'm, I'm, I'm using it because I've got Office 365 and I do need to have access to the Windows version of PowerPoint. That's probably the only app I'm actually using. Um, but so I do use it for that. But no, my first thing, as soon as I log in, it's like, get, get me back to the desktop and run the app and be done with it. Um, there was a webinar this week and it did make me smile. You know, we were saying how lost we were in Windows in our VMs. Yeah. Somebody asked the question um, during this webinar, and it was a Microsoft webinar. How can I have something run on startup? There used to be a startup group. Now, we'd mentioned that, didn't we, that there was a start menu folder and if you organised your own start menu, you could order them, you could put apps in different folders, you had complete control. I couldn't find anything similar. Um, and the guy doing the webinar said, oh, yes, yes, there's a startup folder. All you need to do is put it in that. And this guy is um, an educational consultant for Microsoft. And he then proceeded to take 15 minutes to try and find this folder and failed miserably and said he'd contact her later, <laughs> which is fantastic. So, yes, the educational guru at Microsoft could not find said folder. So I, it made me feel much, much better about it all. Anyway, that's enough for Windows. Let, let's do away with it. We, we'll have MacBiters crying about Windows. Um, we mentioned the sad demise of something Googleish. <laughs> no surprise there then. And I mentioned Net Newswire and said that I really liked it in the day, but then they went to version two and they wanted to charge you twice and I was having none of it. Um, I got pointed towards a blog post which gave me the information that Net Newswire has been purchased from uh, the original owner, which I believe was uh, Netgate, Net, was it Newsgator? Newsgator, I Newsgator. Think. And has been bought by Black Pixel. Now, they've admitted they've not done too much with it yet, but they've got grand plans for it. Now, if you're not aware, Black Pixel also bought um, an application called Kaleidoscope. And what that does, it's a bit of a dev tool. It uh, is a comparison piece of software. Uh, you can open multiple files in it, like text files or HTML files, and you can run comparisons on them. It will show you where the differences are. So in a similar way to Delta Walker, uh, very similar app to Delta Walker. And they've worked, they bought that one as well, and they worked long and hard on it, and they've just released a new version, and it's very, very nice. 
So possibly light on the horizon with Net Newswire. If they give it as much TLC as they've given um, Kaleidoscope, it may be an option. But again, I'm not sure about the prices when you've already paid for it once and there's no upgrades and all the rest of it. But it's good to know that it's not completely dead yet. There may be life in it yet. We don't know. Anyway, on to chat bites. I mentioned uh, last time concept videos and how they affect your mind. Do you remember? I remember. Yeah. And what I was saying was... Um, you know, no news from Apple for seemingly quite a few months. It's been a long time since we did a Mount Bytes Live. We've had, we've had no events uh, from Apple. And I was saying that they sort of spoil, one with the rumours, rumours completely do my head in, but also these concept videos that are absolutely gorgeous. The thing with the concept videos is people make like 3D mock-ups and they're making the concept videos with their skill in an application that can do that. Uh, the thing is, the things they build that are to die for you probably couldn't build them in reality. You know, they're wafer thin uh, with special glass and whatever that just doesn't exist. And the thing is, when you've seen enough of these concept videos, they kind of cloud your mind when the new phone comes out. You think, oh, it's not as nice as that concept, is it? Um, and this week, I, I think I've seen about three or four, all to do with what iOS 7 could be. And I've looked at them and I've drooled and I thought, yes, but sadly, it probably won't look anything like that. So have you had a look at that? I had a quick look at it before. Yeah, it it does look very nice. But uh, like you say, time will tell what it will look like for real. I thought it looked um, a bit Android-ish myself. Mm. It's a bit like when people are talking about the phone and saying that um, an Android phone is too big or a Windows phone is too big. Um, if you think about putting the iPhone interface on it, it probably would be. Mm. You know, you've got the thumb swipe uh, that people struggle with. But when you actually look at the interface of a Windows phone with the huge tiles on it, you don't have to be quite as precise. So I think the size of the device might actually be assisted by the interface you know, especially in Android, where you can set the interface up however you want. I think the size of the device may be offset by the fact that the interface is sort of made to work with it. Whereas with an iPhone, if you just made that, whatever size they are these days, about five and a half inches, aren't they? Something like that. You know, you're, you immediately think, oh, well, I'd have instead of four icons across, I'd have five and then I can't reach them. So I'm, I'm not getting drawn on rumours, but the concepts are making me drool. So I'm going to stop watching them. I would really like to be surprised by something fantastic. Uh, so I'm not going to watch them anymore. But I will put a link in so you can watch them and you can drool as well. I thought that was very kind of me. Let's all suffer together <laughs> when the real thing comes out and it's nothing like. Oh, well. So, uh, yes, Google. Mm. Yeah, No, it's all right. They've not killed anything. They've Yet. given birth of Google. Yes, Google Keep. Mm. Which we decided they could keep to themselves, but it got better than that. Oh, yes. Did you actually look at Google Keep? No. I did. I got my Nexus out and I um, downloaded it, you know, as you do. I opened it and I looked at it and I thought, hmm, interesting. So I think I added a couple of notes to it. It's, it's not Evernote. It's nowhere near Evernote. What concerns me is that, you know, Google will uh, keep, if you'll pardon the pun, at it until it is a viable alternative to Evernote, probably free, you know, what Google do. And then when they've killed Evernote, they'll kill Google Keep. Hmm. You heard it here first. The one thing it did have, and I will never understand why Evernote doesn't have this, is that you can change the background colour of the note. I just, I wanted that in Evernote since I don't know when. 
Um, my, my logic with wanting it is, you know when you put something in Evernote and it's literally just a quick note and you intend to throw it away? Yeah. So a phone number that you've got to ring somebody back or something like that. I just want those to be yellow, like post-it notes. Mm. And instantly I would know, oh, I've dealt with that and I can throw it away. It would seem to be even more relevant now because when you look at the Evernote interface in Evernote 5 for desktop, you have that kind of card view, the little square images. And if you could colour code the background, oh, that would be good. But um, no, unfortunately, that's not there. But Google Keep has got it. But it's all right. Don't worry. It wasn't enough to tempt me away from the, from the light side to the dark side. So no, I did have a look at it and then shut it down and left it. But uh, more worrying news this week. Uh, hot on the heels of Google Keep. We've got Google Blink. Yes, Blink and you miss it. Have you read that one? No, I'm leaving that one to you. What, you've not even read about I'm it? I've not even read about it. Oh, well, you know, why I bother putting things in the show notes, I don't know. Right, what it is, they're forking WebKit. Yes, I Are won't they? repeat I, I won't repeat that. Mm, that wasn't the word I, I initially thought of, I must admit. Yes, they're going to um, take WebKit as is and then extend it in their own little way. So what that means is it's um, going to be a different rendering engine. And it's going to be making its appearance in Google Chrome within 10 weeks, so alarmingly quickly as well. Oh, it worried me. I suppose it doesn't bother you in the slightest, does it? No. Oh, now you know it should. We've had all this before with Internet Explorer and Netscape Navigator. They all, they both sort of went off in their own directions. And you had pages that, basically what they're going to do is provide support for stuff that's only going to work if you're using Google Blink rendering engine. So if you're in Safari, some of that stuff isn't going to work. If you're in something else, it's not going to work. It's only going to work if you're in at the moment, Chrome, both for desktop and iOS. And I know they're doing quite nicely in the um, browser stats. I think they're just heading up to 50% of the market. I did look last week for a presentation. And they're doing very nicely, but that doesn't mean that they should hair off in their own direction and start extending it um, in a unique way, I don't think. No, what about I, standards? Exactly. I lived through this before and it was horrible when, when I, at the time I was doing web design as well extensively and trying to get something to work in all the browsers was horrible and they're just doing it again. That's a case of um, what did ever happen to do no evil? They're, what are Google like for banging on about standards? Mm. Yes, what they say and what they do. So I'm hoping this one will be terminated with um, due alacrity as Google do. But uh, yes, 10 weeks and it'll be here. I mean, I'm sure it'll be great at first and then it'll all, oh, it'll be sad. It'll be sad. But anyway, um, talking of Keep and uh, the Note service, there was a very nice uh, update to SpringPad. Now, you used to use that, didn't you? Uh, I wouldn't say I used to use it. I reviewed it once for, for MacBytes, so I played with it. Do you want to ruin that review right now rather than send anybody back to it? <laughs> Let's just say you now use Evernote. Exactly. I I, I reviewed it from Outbytes um, a long time ago, um, but as everyone knows, I'm an I'm an, I'm an I can't get my teeth around it again. No surprise there then. I'm an Evernote lover. Yes, so am I. Um, I did like the look of uh, SpringPad. Wasn't it Mag Jim who tempted you over? I to think it, it was. Mag I think Jim. it was. You know. Yeah. Um, well, they've done um, an, an update. They're now up to 4.0, SpringPad 4.0, and it looks like a mashup of Pinterest and Evernote into a Notes app. 
looked really nice to be honest but I don't know whether it's got I don't I, I think for me I'd rather have like a list of notes where I can sort by fields and stuff rather than try and do the whole thing visually but it does look incredibly nice and they are still going so um might be one to have a look at especially if you're into Pinterest and you like the look of it yeah it's gone it's gone very social hasn't it yes, I did watch I, the, vi the video on their site and it's gone very very social I looked at Springpod and I looked at Keep on the Nexus and they do look similar. There's a definite similarity in look there, which Evernote doesn't really have. For me, I didn't want Evernote to go down that route. That's what I'm saying. If, you, if you've got notes and the way the interfaces work in... Um, keep and spring pad some of the notes seem to be physically larger than the others in the interface you know if they've got an image attached to them mm. whereas if you think about evernote each note is equal in importance unless you do something with it so if you tag it as important but physically when you look at it it's not saying oh i think this one's more important than that one because i wouldn't want a notes app to do that there is a feature on the premium version of Evernote, you probably won't have seen it, which is, oh, what's that thing called? Something notes, related notes. So in Evernote, if you have got the premium account or you're on a trial of the premium account, if you scroll down to the bottom of a note, you will see a little elephant's head and, and some text underneath that says related notes. And it gives you three related notes, notes that it thinks are related to the note you have selected. So... For instance, I'm looking at uh, something I'm going to be talking about later in the show and what it's found that it thinks are related, it's spot on. Um, so that that is actually useful. Sometimes it's not that accurate, but that is actually useful. But it's optional, whereas what you've got with Keep and SpringPad seems to be that's the interface. So no, I'm, I'm sticking with Evernote. But uh, nice to see it's still going though, because you need the competition, don't you? Otherwise Definitely. you end up in a Google situation. Definitely. And you do not want to be in a Google situation. No, no, no. Talking of Google, I've got a complaint. Another one? <laughs> yes, another one. <laughs> um, there was an update to Google Plus uh, a couple of weeks back now. And uh, you could put a different header in. So they, they decided they were changing the size of the header pretty much on Google+, which wasn't a problem. I went in and I had a look and I thought, OK, fair enough. I'll go find an image for that. But round avatars. I mean, seriously, round avatars. Uh, my avatar looks horrendous. Uh, the words are missing. My, my avatar is red, as most people know. It's red with a white star in the middle and it says Semperfy. Um... Not, not no more. Good. No, not anymore. <laughs> Empathy. Yes, <laughs> not good. So I thought, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll look at it and I'll make it smaller. So I had a good old fiddle around with the avatar. No, nothing worked. So I thought, right, I know what I'll do. I'll use my other avatar. I very seldom use my other avatar. No, don't panic. It's not a picture of me. <laughs> good grief, no. We wouldn't want that to happen. Um, it's the one I use for my fav icon. And all it is is a white star on a little red background. So I thought, well, I'll dig this out. That one would work because what it's doing is it's not scaling it or anything and putting a background behind it. It's just cutting the corners off. It's like a cookie cutter and it's just cutting the edges off, which doesn't work. Well, it works well with a face, I, I suppose. doesn't work well with my avatar. So I took this other avatar and I put it up on Google Plus and it gave me the option and it said, you know, I signed to Google Plus. So I did. And it looked great. No problem at all. Until I went into YouTube and it had changed that one as well. 
And I thought, look, I only wanted this in that little area that you've changed the rules of in Google+. But no, it either goes global or it doesn't at all. So I thought, fair enough. Do you know what? I don't care. Let's, send, let's take it back to what it was. People will just know. They'll just know. And they'll look at it and think Google are insane for going these round avatars. So I changed it back and uh, it was fine on Google+. And three days later on YouTube, when the little white star was still sat there and I could not, for the life of me, get rid of it, I was a bit annoyed. I actually blame Apple for starting that trend. I can't remember if it was Lion or Mountain Lion. But you know when you log out, which you and I very seldom do, and you log back to a login screen? The avatars, no, because I never do it. Uh, yeah, I think I've done it once. I think I saw it when I installed it. Um, well, I don't, but you know, lots of people do. They're round. And I thought at the time, that that's hideous. Why would you do that? Everybody has a square avatar. And now Google have copied them and my avatar looks ridiculous. So if anybody's looking at it, I do apologise. But trust me, the alternative was even worse. I totally disappeared and it was just a star. So I'm not happy. I want the square ones back. I could start a campaign, but if I started a campaign for everything I don't like about Google... I wouldn't really have time for anything else, would I? No. Mm. Anyway, you want to talk about prices, money. I do want to talk about prices, yeah. I read a piece this week about the price of apps in the iOS store and what people are prepared to pay. And according to this uh, piece, of the top 20 best-selling iPhone apps, 15 of them cost $1. The priciest one costs $7. And the average price of the top 100 paid apps in the App Store is... Any guesses? I know, because I can see it. But I'll let you tell everybody. Yeah, it's less than $2. Um, it seems that most people consider $3 for an app to be expensive and $10 to be exorbitant. So, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It reminds me of the Tweetbot. Mm. In one of our slight hiatuses before Christmas, um, Tweetbot came out for desktop. I think it was about £12.99 in pounds. I think Something it was like that. Remember. Somewhere between sort of £12 and £14. And, you know, it's an app that I have open all day, every day. And you make a decision whether you want it or not. And I didn't think it was exorbitant. I thought it was the top end of what people would probably pay for for a Twitter client, but not that expensive that I was horrified by it. But a lot of people were absolutely horrified by the price. So um, I started pricing everything in Tweetbots. And trust <laughs> me, it takes a lot of Tweetbots to buy Creative Suite but we better not mention Creative Suite because that would that would raise the average price by about oh five thousand percent. Yes, let's not go there. But um, I was I was having a think as to why people are reluctant to pay. Well, some people are reluctant to pay for apps full stop, and some people um, are reluctant to pay for uh, you know, large amounts for apps. And as I say, I came up with a few reasons. One is there seems to be so many free apps out there. There's become a why should I pay culture. I hear you on that. And yes, I, I think there is. But you make two points there. There are so many free apps out there. Well, there are. So there are a lot of free apps and there are apps that are paid for. And if you don't want to pay for an app, be it a Twitter client or anything else, the odds are these days you don't have to. What, what bugs me is when people who clearly don't want to pay and tell me vehemently that, you know, it should be free. And I actually have seen that written so many times on reviews. This should be free. Um, don't tell me that I shouldn't pay. It's my choice to pay. It's your choice not to. But exactly. they, they seem to not want to pay 
So fine, you'll get one of the free apps then. And the odds are that that free app isn't going to have all the features or all the support or all the niceties that the paid one does. That's why one's charged for and the other one isn't. But they seem to want, you know, the best app, but not to pay for it. And it Mm. doesn't work like that. No, you get what you pay for at the end of the day, as with anything. Absolutely. Another thing I thought about was that if you compare it to a fully featured desktop app, and I think that's what a lot of people do, the perception is that there are fewer features. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, you, you just take a traditional desktop app and it you know i don't know um excel for argument's sake and you compare that to a spreadsheet on ios and you are going to get a lot less features um but there are other things that you know that's not necessarily true something like and you probably know this this better than me something like omnifocus or omniplan i was actually thinking omnifocus but you're right with omniplan as well omnifocus on uh, ipad no, they they don't. Um, let's say they don't undercharge for their apps, don't the Omni Group, um, the desktop app and the iPhone app and the iPad app. You know, they're all, they're all separate for a start, um, and they are all what I would say is the top end of what the market would bear, as Adobe like to like to tell me, <laughs> the price the market will bear, and the price probably does dissuade some people. But you're right because the iOS app, uh, particularly, they are three completely separate applications, and what I mean by that is. They've not taken the desktop version and just made it smaller and stuck it on a phone. They've actually gone through a whole iterative design process and made a version of something for the phone that works given that it's on a phone. They did exactly the same with the iPad version. They didn't take the approach of, well, it's just a big iPhone, isn't it? So we'll make the interface bigger. They completely redesigned it. They're now in the process of uh, beta testing for version 2 for the desktop, and they've done that again. So that, that just shows you the level of work that's gone into it. But the version on the iPad um, is so good, it has features that neither the desktop nor the iOS version for phone actually has. So yes, there is a perception of fewer features, but that, sometimes that's not true. Yeah, it's it's more relevant, more focused features for the, the platform that it's it's on. Yes, and, and the development cycle had to take place for that particular device. So it, they may have used a few lines of code from another version, but the actual, the bit that you see, which is the interface, is the most important, and that was reimagining from the ground up. So yes, their, their apps are not the cheaper apps, but I'm happy to pay for those apps. Yeah, another point that, um, and I've heard this this said a lot, is that um, there are no trial versions available in the um, the App Store. Now, whether that's possible or not, you know, whether that is logistically possible, I don't know. And it, people have said in the comments on this article I read, even you know, thirty minutes to an hour, just to see if the app meets my needs. Does it work? Will it crash? Because apart from personal recommendations, usually come from you. <laughs> Um, no, in all seriousness, um, users are relying on, on store reviews, aren't they? And I don't think people are, by and large, prepared to part with vast amounts of money to find out if an app will, will meet their needs. Mm, I do use a trial version if there is a trial version. So historically, you know, before the App Store, I wouldn't just pay for an app. I would download the trial, I'd install the trial and I'd have a go with it. And yes there is that problem that there is no trial versions, but the app developers could make trial versions available that that 
aren't available via the App Store, and I know that some, some do that. I'm thinking when Postbox went in the store, there was a version that was available on their site, and you could choose to use the trial. Um, there was another one. I was recommending an app to somebody, and I do that all the time, so I can't for the life of me remember who or what the app was. But I remember saying, you can't actually buy it from the developer. It's the it's App Store only. But the developer has put a trial version on their website. So it's possible, but it, it would put the burden on the developer, really, to, to develop a version. Because the thing is, if there's a trial version, um, you're looking to to cripple it in some kind of way, aren't you? Mm, and it wouldn't yeah. be able to be unlocked by putting a serial number in because it's App Store only. Um, I'd probably go on personal recommendation anyway. I would probably Google and read reviews. And I yes, I would read the store reviews, but sometimes I look at the store reviews and, you know, you'll find some that are one star that are either very badly worded, in which case I probably won't take much notice, or incredibly eloquent, but whatever they're complaining about isn't something that I find problematic. So I do read them, but I don't just sort of blindly say, oh, well, you know, it's it's only got like four one-star reviews, so I'm not going to touch it. I, I will actually read them and then make a judgment on it. Yeah. I'd like to see trial versions enabled, but I think it could put too much overhead on Apple, and that might mean they have to increase their 30%. Yeah, that's uh, that's another thing, isn't it? The whole 30%. But we'll we'll come back to that shortly on an, on another um, story. But let's uh, ask the listeners. Let's put it out to listeners. Let's take an app. Um, you know, any app. I'm sure many of you have bought something like Downcast or another podcatcher. Um, and you use that rather than using the podcast app or the music app. Why? You know, why have you bought that? Why do you use a paid for Twitter client? And when looking for an app, at what point do you say it's too expensive? Do you have a cutoff point or does it depend on the app? Does the price of the app determine whether you use a particular service? Um, you know, one I was thinking about was the well, the actually the apps free, but the the, the cost of the service is is four ninety nine, which is the um, Sky Sports app. You know, if they put that up to you know twenty five thirty quid, would I still bother paying for it or not? Another example is Evernote because the app's free. I subscribe to the free service, but if they started charging for the app, then I'd have a decision to make: do I pay for the app? Um, at what point? What is my price point? Or do I change to a different note-taking service? Do I go to um, Springit? Was it Springit? Springpad? Would you not consider Google Keep, dear? That's bound to be free. <laughs> you you have pain, long? sweat and tears, but it's free in money terms. <laughs> Till they kill it. Exactly. I so, do pay uh, for Evernote. I don't turn a hair about that. I've paid no, for Evernote I for, I think, 2008. I subscribed to that. There's premium support, which I have used on two occasions, and it's been fantastic. It's been very, very fast turnaround. Uh, there's more of an upload, so uh, I can upload you know, more in a month than the free account, although I probably get nowhere near the allowance, which I think is one gig. There are a few other premium services, but I just don't like looking at the ads. I really object to looking at ads um, on the desktop. I can't understand with Evernote. I think they'd get more subscribers if they stuck ads in the mobile version. So, yeah, quick tick Evernote there. <clears throat> Try ads in the mobile version, you get more sign-ups. Seems odd to me because some people probably live in the mobile versions. They never see an ad. They don't realise that you can pay for it, maybe. 
I wouldn't think twice about paying for Evernote. Uh, I don't. I also pay for some other services, but there's some things where I draw the line and say there's no way I'd go with that. So yes, I'd be interested too. I'd, I probably do have a cut-off point for apps, but I think for me it does depend on the app. You know, I'm not going to pay £200 for a Twitter client, but when you talked about um, Omniplan, Omniplan on the iPad is completely usable as a project management tool, whereas on the desktop it feels like a chore. On the iPad, with it being touch-based and it's incredibly responsive, it's a joy to use. So that is going to be worth more to me than my Twitter client, and I work on that principle. But I would love to hear what other people think about that. It's also easy to forget that it costs time and money to actually develop, market and support an app. So it's not surprising that so many developers kind of fall by the wayside. They stop developing. They don't respond to support questions in a timely manner. They're probably spending their time looking for alternative ways to make money, actually. Yes, I mean, we've mentioned it before, I think, that um, I tried SkyDrive a few years ago and it was not a good experience and then when I was working with Office 2013 for Windows SkyDrive um, came across my horizon again I had another look at it and it was a completely different app there it there was um, an iOS version there's an Android version as well so I downloaded those and I installed them they weren't um, the the kind of solution that you would have in Windows it was a little bit clunky there's for instance the SkyDrive app on iOS it has no editor in it. There's no iOS version of an Office app to edit with. There isn't even the equivalent of a web version. So you would have to pass the file from SkyDrive to something else. But you can do that. Uh, then they, they brought out a new version for Android, and it was gorgeous. They'd rebranded everything, ready for the Office 2013 launch and the Office 365 one. Everything matched. Everything was all branded, um, apart from the iOS version. And they had problems getting it past Apple, and it was all to do with the fact this was the first time that Microsoft were rolling out a subscription-based service. And just as other subscription-based services have found, this 30% rule applies to the subscriptions within the app as well as the app. Now, the app itself is free, so there's no 30% involved. But it's finally come into the store, but you're looking at a, a, a delay of five months. Um, it's a big update. And what they've had to do is they have left the feature in there that you can subscribe. But instead of being able to subscribe to the service directly from the app, you have to tap and then it will take you out to a browser and you do it through the browser. And that's the only way they've been able to get it in. So not only do these developers have to develop an app that you want to use, and it's fantastic by comparison to other apps, they want to stick within Apple's rules down to that level that could affect their bottom line. It's definitely got an impact there on the ability to earn from app development. You have to think not only in terms of how much your audience will pay, but you have to think about how you're going to collect that. And there's Apple's 30% to consider. Um, and beyond that, you know, how you're going to monetize the app. Um, in relation to that, I noticed this a while ago and I thought, I'm not covering this on MacBytes uh, because Flash is such a dirty word, as is Adobe. Um, there is another application called Director, Adobe Director. You can be forgiven for never having heard of it. Um, I'm wondering whether Adobe still knew they, they owned it. It was um, around the time of Shockwave and the early days of Flash and Director was like the big brother to Flash. Uh, it wasn't so well known 
Flash is despised, director because it wasn't so well known, wasn't quite so despised. So if you think about what Adobe need to do, Adobe need to find a way to leverage their existing technology for developers to develop and put stuff in the iOS app store. That's what they need to do for their developers. So there was no way they could do much more with Flash because it does have such a bad reputation. Director had been around for a while, but it had really fallen into disuse. The even user groups that were there to support it have sort of been abandoned because it just had not been updated and there was no news on it ever being updated. And then, surprisingly, it just appeared, I think it was just before Christmas, and a new version of Director appeared, completely out of the blue. So they totally resurrected this platform. Because Director, well, it's not Flash, is it? So you're thinking, well, well, it's not Flash, I'll have a look at it. So um, it was quite a shock to the community. What I found even more shocking was what they decided to do with it. So what you do with Director, think Flash, think Big Brother to Flash, better than Flash but very similar in terms of technology. They have built in the option that you can build, and usually, to be honest, it's games. Uh, you build your game in Director, and then you press a button and it uploads it to the iOS App Store. So there is a publishing element to this. And then they they brought out the license and they, they sort of gently suggested this licensing thing. Um, not only with your app, because you are going through the App Store in the standard way, so you need an Apple developer account and Apple will take 30% from that. Uh, what Adobe was suggesting was that when you had your app and you had put it in the store, if you then earned over $20,000 from that app, they required that uh, you paid them 10% of your earnings over $20,000, which came as even more of a shock to the community. I was quite shocked by that because I thought, well, what's it for? You're not taking anything on earnings under 20,000. So why are you doing it over other than to cream money off the top, which maybe Adobe think is what Apple are doing. But the thing is, Apple are actually providing the entire platform for you to sell your app. They're collecting the money, they're passing it on to you. They're doing something. The thing with this is, that made it even worse. So there's a 10% tax on anything you make over $20,000. It wasn't exactly legally binding. There was nothing in place to ensure that you paid it. It was based on an honours system. Yes, just think about that. <laughs> you were supposed to tell them that you had earned over $20,000 and request that they take the money from you. Sounds like the tax system in Greece. You're not wrong there, Siri. The other thing that was completely shocking with this was that Director 12 is not a free app. It is a complete development environment and it costs £980. So think about that. The developer is expected to pay £980 for the development environment and then charge a price for their app, bearing in mind that Apple will want 30% of that and should it be successful, Adobe want 10% of it on top of the £980 for Director. Needless to say, it didn't go down very well. And now Adobe have scrapped that 10% thing, so they will be changing their licensing and removing the obligation to, um, on a bound, hand over 10%. When I say scrapped, I'm thinking it's just got the same effect as developers actually ignoring it, which, <laughs> call me cynical, I think they just might have been doing. So um, development's not all a bed of roses, is it? 
it's just making it official that you can ignore yes, it. Yes, you can now officially ignore it. <laughs> yes, just like the tax system in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> and um, another thing that sort of came into my mind about this was um, if a developer does do really well and something gets well known and it becomes popular, um, it'll probably get bought by one of the big boys and either subsumed into their ecosystem or, in the case of Google, just killed. Sunsetted. Yes. Uh, Yahoo had just bought um, Sumly. Uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago, and it just reminded me, you know, these services that come out like that, and you know, you enjoy using them and whatever, whether they're free or not, whether they're paid for, they just kind of vanish from under you. And you know, no developer is going to turn down a huge deal, I wouldn't expect. And when you think about the process that they have to go through and the things they have to think about, I don't suppose you can blame them, can you? They could, no. um, because if if Yahoo in this case don't buy them, they'll buy a competitor. So I think that's all quite sad, to be honest. And no, I didn't buy Director 12, you'll be pleased to hear. OK, so we look forward to hearing your views on what we've just been talking about. But uh, let's move on to the app review, shall we? Yes, uh, I've got an app review. I've got an app that uh, I, I've been using for ooh, only just a little over a week and I absolutely adore it. It's changed your life. Yes, it's one of those apps. <laughs> Lots of apps change my life. Don't they? <laughs> and then I, I summarily lose them and move on to the next one. No, no, I've used um, a launcher since I got my first Mac. I actually sort of sat down with it. And yes, I saw the dock and thought, oh, this is how you run apps. And then when you installed apps and they don't, they didn't put an icon on the dock, I, I was lost. So um, I did play around with the dock for a while. Not for long. Don't like it. And uh, my first launcher was Quicksilver. Yes. Do you remember that? I remember Quicksilver. I really yeah. like Quicksilver. I really did. Um, that was another one that changed my life. I couldn't believe it was something that, that as a concept, you know, a, a launcher. It's just such a simple concept. And yet, if you think about Windows, there was nothing equivalent. So it, to me, when I moved to the Mac, it was completely new. It was fantastic. In fact, Quicksilver, um, it, it sort of had a bit of a spotted history, hasn't it? Um, the reason that I moved away from Quicksilver was that the original developer said that he wasn't going to be developing it anymore. And he suggested that everybody moves to Launch Bar. So I, I hung on for a bit, hoping, and then in the end I did move to Launch Bar. But Quicksilver has reached version 1 this, uh, I think it was about 10 days ago. Uh, after 10 years in beta, I'd completely forgotten Quicksilver was in beta, that it was still a beta. But um, it's now at version 1. But it's more of a community effort, to be honest, which does concern me with software. You're back to um, having forks of applications that, you know, one version heads off in one direction, one heads off in the other. Knowing me, I'd want features from both versions. So that, that does concern me, to be honest. LaunchBar had the benefit for me that it was a paid-for application, so the developer was making a living from it. He needs to develop it. And um, I moved to LaunchBar probably, I was trying to remember when, I think it was around the time. Oh, it must have been um, Leopard and Snow Leopard. I think it was Leopard that, that broke virtually everything, didn't it? Do you remember the, the horror that was yes. installing Le Leopard and nothing worked? Yeah. It was around that time, so it wasn't long after that that I switched to LaunchBar. Um, I don't rely on LaunchBar for everything that I do with a keyboard. I do supplement LaunchBar with a whole range of other applications. So I've got um, various applications to uh, create global keyboard shortcuts. I've got plugins that I've created. I've got services running. 
I actually do find a launcher incredibly important. Now, I don't suppose you found it as important at the beginning, did you? No, I do use launch bar. Um, why? Um, because I follow your lead, um, your recommendations. Do you mean dictate? Yes. Right, fair enough. <laughs> but it's not actually just using it to launch applications, is it? No, I use um, I use the calculator that's built in. I use the clipboard manager that's built in. Um, but, you know, I did use other calculator apps and other clipboard manager apps before LaunchBar, so the the fact that those were there, um, I used them. I just really need a quick way to launch apps. That's what that's how I started, and I must admit I didn't extend Quicksilver in any way at all. I literally just used it to run applications. I I very seldom even there was a feature in Quicksilver where you could get your contacts and send emails to them. I didn't even bother with that. I literally just used it as a launcher. When I went to LaunchBar, I did then extend that and start trying to do more with it. Um I think I have a rather odd requirement which is I deliver a lot of live online training and I have a need to do things without the audience having to suffer a plethora of mouse movements and clicks to see me doing it. So things like opening applications, opening specific folders. A lot of the time I have slides on the screen and although with a lot of webinar applications you can upload the slides you have horrendous problems. It doesn't support transitions, it doesn't support animations, the fonts change, the colours change, it's horrible. So I do everything live, which freaks out a lot of presenters. So my slides are live on my system and I have a need to get from full screen slides that are covering two monitors to an application without the audience seeing me click here, click there, move the slides out of the way. I'm sure a lot of the audience have been to some kind of online conference and most of the time you sit there and you're dizzy watching the presenter move things and I don't like that I want it to be completely seamless um, things like annotating slides as well which Keynote can't do and it's almost as much about hiding what I'm doing so if you think about you wouldn't want in, in a live training situation to have your um, address book open or your calendar open or your email open so sometimes it's as much about hiding things as well so I started using LaunchBar more and more and I was extending it with scripts and I was writing applications as well to do specific things. So I think I, I do use it more than you and I probably use it in a very different way than you. Um, I pass files to it and all kinds of stuff. Now, when I reminded you about that, you said, oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, it's like you say, there's loads of shortcuts in there. There's the, the, the double tap the function button, which allows you to, you know, if you've got a file selected, opens the file in something specific. But because I don't spend 18 hours a day on my Mac, unlike some people, <coughs> um, I keep forgetting about those uh, shortcuts. It's, it's down to use, isn't it, as with many things. That's the thing. Um, if you don't use it, if, if you don't find the shortcuts useful, you're not going to use them and if you forget to use them then you forget they're there so what I try and do is on a regular basis I will revisit all my workflows and try and simplify them either cutting down the number of applications that I use or maybe using a different application than one I've been using um, really just to simplify the whole thing that's that's what my aim is to simplify it so uh, the reason why I'm talking about that is Alfred came out Mm, I know a lot of MacBiters use Alfred. I had got Alfred installed, um, and <laughs> a bit like you, I hadn't actually used it because I just used LaunchBar. That was done. Um, but I'd also installed it for my dad because 
Uh, it was a free alternative to launch bar and he's none the wiser anyway. He doesn't use it. My problem was I'd go to his machine and I'd try and use launch bar and it wasn't there and it freaked me out. So uh, I decided I would install Alfred and use that. And, and all I'm using it for on his machine is as a launch bar. Well, a launcher. For me, I'd honed launch bar to be exactly what I wanted. So what tempted me to try Alfred 2? Well, it was new and shiny, wasn't it? So you know I had to do it. Uh, I was also seriously tempted by the potential of the workflows. So um, I had specific needs if it was going to replace LaunchBar. It was going to have to do everything that LaunchBar did. And then what I was looking for was ways that it could possibly make my workflow even faster. So I installed it and I started configuring it. And I was actually really impressed. It's um, incredibly fast and, you know, we were talking about whether there's a trial version or whatever. Mm. You can carry on using it for free if all you want are the free features. Because how it works is there is a completely free version and then you can pay to activate advanced features, which is known as the power pack. So the free features... There were certain ones that I looked at and thought, ah, I wanted to try that. So in terms of a trial, I still think even though there is a free version, it would be nice to have sort of, you know, just five days or so, maybe able to use some of the advanced features. I think that might actually tempt more people into buying it. But um, I had a look at it. I, I used it as an app launcher for a day or so, and it could do all of that. So my next step then was to look at the things that I'd uh, extended launch bar with and to see if it could do all of those apps, uh, well, things. There were, there was applications I'd written and I just wondered if there was a better way. Didn't actually take me too long to purchase the Power Pack. One of the features that is Power Pack only, which uh, you've actually mentioned, was the clipboard extender. And that was something that I used extensively in LaunchBar. I have tried, I think, in fact, I think definitely I've tried, every clipboard extender for the Mac. The only one that comes close to the one that I had on Windows, which was fantastic, is one called um, ClipBuddy. The problem with ClipBuddy was it stopped working. And uh, I got in touch with a developer. I don't think English was his first language, or even second or third, sadly. And uh, he wanted me to send my file, you know, my clipboard file. But I couldn't actually get into it to sanitise it. And you know when you've copied and pasted stuff and it's probably got passwords in it? Yeah. Well, I had no and idea what was in it. And I credit card numbers and Yeah, things. I wasn't prepared to send it anywhere. <laughs> Put it like that. So, um, And it was a really horrible crash. If that one worked, I'd probably use it because it was the nearest to Clipmate on Windows, which was just the ultimate in clipboard management. But I decided in the end that I must give up looking for the perfect clipboard manager and I must settle for something that just worked and get on with it. So I did and I, and I settled with the one in launch bar. The limitation for me dro drove me mad. It only had 40, a uh, memory of 40 items. Don't know if that bothers you. It certainly bothers me. No, not to any great extent. It, it defaults to 10. Yeah, I... I found the 10 and thought are you kidding yeah and then clicked the, the option and, and saw 40 and thought a little bit better that's what i did yeah no cigar though <laughs> so um I, I i set it to 40 and it's not bad but i do copy and paste all day every day so i'm in my text editor and i'm copying and i'm pasting furiously and 40 just seems like a, a, just too much of a limit to me but 
that was what it had and that's what I've used for over five years. So I thought I really want to see what it can do in terms of uh, clipboard management. And that was one of the power pack features. So I had to check absolutely everything else and everything else seemed fine. The calculator is, uh, I think, better than in uh, launch bar. You can go back and you can edit the calculations that you've put in. So you literally just activate Alfred. You start typing your calculation and it calculates. The thing is, I mean, you didn't even know with launch bar, did you, till I showed you, you could actually go back and carry on calculating. No. It just isn't obvious. So there's a lot of pressing enter and then things happen. But Alfred leaves the calculation field on the screen for you. And you can use your standard navigation keys to go backwards and forwards and actually edit that calculation. So that, that side of it was fantastic. The only thing that was nearly a showstopper for me, and again, this was sort of my particular um, problem, was um, the contacts. So I was at this point where I was thinking, OK, I've got a potential showstopper, but I can't make my mind up till I see what the clipboard can do. So I thought, oh, I'll go for it. And um, I got a license for it and I activated the clipboard side of things. It does uh, tell you that it can keep a clipboard for, I think it's a day a week or three months, something like that. So I thought, now that sounds more like it. <laughs> um, although apparently the uh, it can sort of fill up the buffer somewhat. Anyway, I turned it to three months and uh, it's not slowed down yet. So I'm really happy with that. That was great, which only left me with the one problem. So I'm running applications with it. Um, I've managed to transfer a lot of work that I was doing outside of a launcher into Alfred as well. There was just this one potential showstopper. And for me, it was an odd one. But if I typed Evernote, so I start typing Evernote, ready to not run Evernote, but maybe send an email to one of my contacts who happens to be called Evie and up popped uh, Evernote and up popped Evie. Well, that's fine as long as that's what I'm doing. So I've got, think of what, three contacts called Eve. So that's fine as long as what, that's what I'm doing. My problem was in a webinar, I wouldn't want to be doing that, but I may want to run Evernote. So as I start typing Evernote, all my contacts call Eve appear on the screen and I can't have that. Data protection, I cannot have that. And I, I couldn't find a way to turn it off. There is a way to turn it off. I just totally missed it. Uh, so that was my problem. I couldn't find a way to turn it off. Uh, what I actually wanted was a feature that LaunchBar has, which is you go in and you put a tick in the box that says show via submenu only. And then what happens is unless you actually type in the name of the contact, you, are, you have to type contact first and then all your contacts appear. And as you start typing a name, it filters your contacts. So unless I deliberately wanted my contacts to appear, they never would. And I, I was quite safe using it. But as I say, I, I couldn't uh, get Alfred to replicate that to do the same. So I decided I would contact the developer. So uh, I, I wrote an email. This was, uh, I think it was about half past one on a, on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. And um, I put in the details of what my requirements actually were. And I, I said, I know these are weird, but I cannot have the names appearing on the screen. Anyway, I got a reply from the developer. Uh, I think it was before eight o'clock on the Sunday morning, which I thought was incredibly impressive. 
Um, he confirmed that, yes, you can do that. You don't have to have the contacts showing at all. So that is what I've elected to do at the moment. But he did say he thought it was a fantastic idea, despite my weird requirements, to uh, have them available from, in effect, a sub-menu and that, no, Alfred can't do that at the moment. But he's added it as a feature request for the next um, sub-version. So not the next big version, just the, the next iteration that comes out, hopefully soon. So I've disabled it for the moment, but uh, hopefully it is going to be back. And I thought that that level of custom service is fantastic. That's why I pay a developer. I don't expect it all for free. Yes. See that then? See what I did there? Yeah, it's good that, isn't it? So uh, what do I do with Alfred and why is it so fabulous? Well, it is a launcher and it is the by far the fastest way to launch applications. As soon as I say that, people say to me, well, I, I use the dock. You use the dock and it works for you. Carry on using the dock. I'm pleased for you. Other people say, oh, Spotlight can do that. Why, why would I pay for anything extra? Spotlight doesn't do a bad job. And I'm sure between, well, on machines that I didn't have a launcher on, I have used Spotlight. And I think between Quicksilver and LaunchBot, I think I tried using Spotlight. And it works best on machines that aren't attached to any other machines. So no mount points, um, not, not even on a network really. So on my MacBook Air when I'm out, I'm sure Spotlight would do great. When I'm in, I'm connected to, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20 external drives and mount points, uh, even FTP and all sorts. And um, Spotlight doesn't cope well. It just doesn't cope well at all. So that's why I use a launcher. I, do, I also, as everybody knows, I do not use the dock. The dock is hidden. Don't know where it is. Don't care where it is. Don't use it. So that's why I use a launcher. But like I've said, Alfred's more than a launcher. It's actually like a whole little productivity suite in itself. So I've got um, shortcuts to run applications. I am using it as my clipboard extender, which gives me a his not only actually a history of my clipboard, which I don't leave things there for days. It's just, well, I do if I could, <laughs> but it, it's, I don't store stuff there. What I do with it is when I'm copying and pasting, it means I can copy and paste three or four things and then I can access my clipboard history. Not only can I see a list of it, but there's a filter at the top. And as soon as I start typing, it filters out and only shows me the elements that I have at some point copied that match my search criteria, which is just a huge time saver. Um, I do use the calculator in it, like you were saying, so I use that as well. But the, the real, real power of Alfred is the fact that it has something called workflows. And workflows are like um, a visual way. You create them visually by dragging and dropping elements and then you put information behind them. And what they are in essence is a macro. So if you've ever created a macro in any application ever, then that's really what you've got in Alfred. The thing is, you'll probably think with it, you won't think of what you need to do. You'll think this is this is an application. This is what it does. And you'll stick with it. But what I've taken to doing is looking around the forum and seeing what other people are doing with workflows just to give me ideas. There were some fantastic ones already there and they kind of inspired me to write some of my own as well. So in no particular order, one of the things that I've downloaded is a workflow called Favourites. And what that enables me to do is to create favourite folders and then I can quickly navigate to those locations. So I'm not creating them where I have to create them and then it's a, a real chore to go and change them. It's actually not a situation that you go in and you create them and then you have to do something special 
to delete them or to create others. The whole thing is done through the Alfred interface. So that is saving so much time. I did have an application to do that and it was called Side Folders. I don't, can you remember if I've mentioned that before? Can't remember. Mm, my problem with Side Folders was it, it works, it's fantastic. But the memory usage is just off the scale. I, I do mean off the scale. Three gig of memory is not uncommon. So um, I was looking for something to replace that anyway. I've also used stuff like Prime Files and Essentials before. So this favourites feature just lets me navigate very quickly to files. Alfred also lets you search your file system. So if you bring up Alfred with your designated keyboard shortcut and just press the space bar and start typing a file name, as long as the location of the file is in Alfred's search scope, instantly it brings it back. Now, obviously, it uses the Spotlight engine to do that, but I found that's by far the fastest way I've ever found to find files. So, uh, favourites is one workflow that I added. Another thing that's just amazing um, is Bitly. I use Bitly to shorten URLs, and how I've done it is I have installed a plugin extension thing into Chrome. So all I have to do, navigate to a page and click this button. And I'm sure I have mentioned this before. They annoy me. Again, it's one of these services that won't let me pay, so I can't complain. What they did was they changed how it all worked. And uh, there's some options where I could say to it, don't show me a dialogue, don't show me the interface, just shorten and then copy the URL to my clipboard. And they changed the option. And even though I've told it I don't want to see the interface, it still brings up a Bitly interface that floats over the page. And I've then got to get rid of it. Well, somebody has written an extension where all you have to do is copy a URL. And that can be from anywhere. It doesn't have to be from within a browser. It can be anywhere. It could be a Word document anywhere. And once you've got it on your clipboard, you bring Alfred up and you just type shorten or you start to type shorten. And as soon as Alfred realises what you're trying to do, and you can see that, you know, it lists shorten as the top option, you tap enter and you're done. It shortens it, puts it on the clipboard and you can paste it wherever you like. So I've actually managed to lose an extension from Chrome. It also gave me the ability that that was then universal. So it doesn't matter what application I'm in, I can shorten with no interface at all. Alfred takes care of it all. Um, another one was YouTube, so it was a workflow for searching YouTube, which is really fantastic. Uh, one of the ones I, I wouldn't have thought of, I would never have thought of this, and somebody built it and I thought that's fantastic, is zipping files. Now, I know it's really simple on a Mac to zip a file or a collection of files. I was using Stuff It until it went wrong in Mountain Lion. Don't know if you saw that problem. Um, I was running it where I didn't want it. It actually opened up, it unzipped files and it zipped files and then it closed itself. And in Mountain Lion, it won't. I think it's something to do with the sandboxing, but the application stays open and I didn't want it to. So I went back to the default uh, archive program. But what this zip workflow will do for Alfred and it is a huge workflow improvement for me. It will enable me to select a single file or multiple files in the finder. Then I activate Alfred and I just type the word zip. If I want, if I'm not worried about the file name, then I can just press enter. So if it's one file and I'm quite happy for the zip to be called the same name as the file, then just press enter. But if it's more than one file, then the file name will be random. It will just be based on one of the files that I've selected. So the optional thing you can do is actually specify a file name for it. So I can type zip, 
put a space in and then type a file name and Alfred will instantly, no interface on the screen, just zip the file and use the file name that I've specified. That is such an improvement in the workflow. I, I can't believe that. It's absolutely brilliant. So highly recommend zip items workflow. Uh, just a couple of others. There was um, send URLs and I thought not sure about the use of that. But if you can imagine you've got um, a page open in your browser and you want to take the URL and open it in another browser, which I must admit I do quite a lot, usually because I'm logged into Google and I want to be logged in or not logged in. I want to see, I want to check that something works if I'm not logged in. So I know you've done this <laughs> more than once, uh, where you upload a video to YouTube and you have it set to private and then you send the link out and you wonder why nobody can see it. Been there, done that. Oh, so have I. So I have a browser and I check, you know, I copy the, the URL. I want to check that you can see it if you're not logged in. You know, if you don't own the video, can you see it? And, you know, I have to go to the, uh, because that was another thing, mm, Google. They broke the copy and paste of the URL. You used to be able to copy the URL without selecting it of the current page with Command Shift C. And they then allocated that to something else. And there wasn't even a hook that you could hook back into it. So I had to really hack that to get that back. But with this one, you don't have to select the URL. All you do is you have the browser as your front application. You activate Alfred and you type um, URL. And it gives you a list of options of things you can do with it. You can copy it, but also within that list is listed every browser that you have on your system. So if I wanted to send the URL from Chrome to Safari, all I've got to do is use the arrow key to move down to Safari, press enter, Safari opens and it loads in that page, which is, again, just a huge time saver for me. The big thing with that was not having to copy the link first. So it works the same way if you want to take a URL from a browser and do something else with it in terms of maybe copying it into a Word document or wherever. And you can do that without actually selecting it just by using this Alfred uh, workflow. So that's another great one. Again, something that I don't think I would have thought of. I would have thought it was good enough to be able to run my FTP client, which is transmit, just by typing transmit into Alfred. But somebody has made a workflow where I can actually type FTP. Now I can choose what that word is, but they've set it to FTP. Um, and then put a space in and then type the name of my favourite. So if I'm uploading something to MacBytes, all I've got to do is activate Alfred and type FTP MacBytes and it will open transmit and it will actually connect to MacBytes. So all within a couple of seconds, I look up and I'm connected and I'm good to go. So uh, that is one for transmit. There was some talk on the forum of other people saying, oh, this is fantastic. Can you make it for? And then, you know, fill in the blank with your FTP client. Um, it controls iTunes out of the box, but not Spotify. So somebody else has written a workflow to, to enable Alfred to control Spotify. So that's there as well. And all of these workflows are completely free. There is a fantastic community of workflow creators built up, which is whether you've got the best of both worlds. You've got an app that is a commercial app, so the developer has been paid to develop it. But you've also got this community element where the community are adding value to the application as well, which is something, to be honest, I've not seen with LaunchBar. Now, I must admit, I don't go bothering the LaunchBar website a huge lot, um, but I've searched when I, when I need it to do something, and I've not found that an element of community that's quite like the Alfred community. Um, the ones that I built for myself, um, 
Oh no, there's a couple of others. There was one to toggle hit. No, I wrote one to toggle, to toggle hidden files, which is something I have to do quite frequently. Um, and that is, again, just a huge time saver. Uh, I know you can do it with a terminal line and I know you can make stuff to do it. And you're supposed to be able to unhide the library if you hold keys down. But I've not found anything that's just, you know, really simple. So all I have to do is create this. Um, it's a workflow. I install this workflow and I can toggle those hidden files on and off. And another one I found that's really useful is uh, uploading to Cloud App. All I have to do is have a file selected in the finder. Activate Alfred, type cloud and it uploads it to cloud app. So I no longer have to have the app open and drag and drop to it. It just uploads it. Some of the stuff that I made myself, so workflows that I've written, um, I had a need to paste as plain text and um, I must have done that in five different ways. But this one I think is a keeper. So I have, um, I would Control and C to copy, Control and V to paste, but if I want to paste as plain text, I have a dedicated key to do that. Um, I've got some that are a bit odd, they're webinar related, and that they toggle applications on and off with no interface showing at all. So I can create um, shortcut keys that uh, either activate applications or run scripts or do all those sort of things. I've created some custom searches so I can just type MB and type a word in and it will search the MacBytes site. So if I'm looking for did I talk about Koi Pond and if I did when, I, we all know I talked about Koi Pond, uh, I can do that straight from my desktop. Done that with app guides as well which you probably don't use too much but do you remember the Dr Quinn saga? Don't remind me. <laughs> oh yes, 188 ep episodes of Dr Quinn, none of them labelled, numbered or anything else. So I spend quite a lot of time in EpGuide looking for stuff, so I've made a search for that one as well. Um, and access to my Dropbox quickly as well, so I've probably only just touched the surface of what I can probably do with workflows, and I'm absolutely loving Alfred. Um, it's probably added... Best best productivity app I've added to my workflow in years. So I'm happy to highly, highly recommend that. Of course, my first task is to get Mike to use it. What do you think of my chances? Mm, I think I'll try it. Ooh. I think you've convinced me in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, but I know what you'll do. You'll install it, won't you? And you'll put it on a different shortcut key. No. The launch bar. No. And then you'll forget to use it, won't you? No. Then what are you going to do? Um, put it on the same keyboard shortcuts launch bar. Way! So mm -hmm. you can report back next time. She nearly said next week then, Minster. I refuse to be drawn. Next time. Well, it's got to be worth trying because the free version does actually have quite a lot of features. Um, in fact, I think as far as you're concerned with trialling it, probably the only thing that isn't enabled on the free version is the clipboard. So apart from that, you can do custom searches and take it quite a long way. You will not have the workflow features. That, that is the thing. You wouldn't have the workflow features. Uh, Alfred itself is £15 for a license, which is a per person license. And it's £30 if you want what's called a mega supporter license. And what that gives you is uh, all future updates for free. One of my concerns with version 1 of Alfred was that it's activated, and that remains so. It is activated software, but 
There is a feature in it, and this was what made me seriously think, well, maybe the activation isn't going to be a nasty type of activation. And that is that you can synchronise your settings from one machine to another, which immediately said to me they must recognise that you may want to install this on more than one machine then. And that is indeed the case. I've put it on two so far, but I'm probably going to put it on another one at least. I'm still on launch bar and all the others. Like I've got quite a lot of machines. But um, yes, the synchronization option synchronizes all your settings and your workflows between machines and it uses Dropbox to do it. So that was a, one of the things I really wanted to try. Again, it's a power pack only feature, but it's very, very simple to set up. And it means if I change something on one machine, it's automatically there when I go to my other machine, which for me is, again, such a time saver. I do that already with Typeinator and Feeder and various other applications. So it's good to see that it's got that feature in it. Um, so I can highly, highly recommend that. It's got to be worth at least trying the free version. But if you are a spotlight lover and you do not want to use anything else, good luck to you. Just don't tell me that I should use Spotlight because it doesn't work for me. Spotlight can't do all of that. But if you have no need to do all of that, stay with it and enjoy Spotlight. OK, shall we go on to uh, feedback and comments? Indeed. And we heard from Minster. Yay! Who has listened, well, who had at this stage listened twice to the last show. And we must say good luck to Minster. He has been in training. He's been training very hard for many months for a run that I do believe is in April. So very, very good luck with that. We shall, we shall await your story. I think we should demand an audio file, don't you think? Yes, maybe he should. Maybe Live he could, from his run. May, yeah, maybe he could listen to Matt Bias whilst he's on his run. That wouldn't be wise. No. No, they'd probably cart him off in, in, in a little yellow van. <laughs> <laughs> we also heard from McJim. Who's been another naughty boy, hasn't mm. he? Mm. He says, and I won't do the Scottish accent, he says, Please hey, don't. Hey, what? A new showman. Whatever next. But what's all this about PMT on the show? Not that sort. No, 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 no. We weren't talking about PMT, were we? Let's get back to McJim and his phone miscreants. Yes, he says, um, he sent the Z10 back and carried on using his iPhone 5. But I know I said I wouldn't have a Windows phone or Android, but yes, the iPhone has gone and I've bought a Galaxy S3. Mac Jim! I can't turn my back for two minutes before he's up to mischief with his phone. But there's a reason for getting the S3. I'm going to put a Buntu phone on it when that comes out later this year. I'll wait to see how that goes. If it goes quite well, you never know. I could be tempted. <laughs> now I'm using my iPod Touch listening to your hangers-on. Come on, Siri, get on with it. Oh, yes. Siri's asleep, I think. Yes, good. Let's keep him that way. I am not. Moving swiftly on to events. Um, you're doing a, a webinar. about. There, two, there's a surprise. Two weeks, is it? Some Two and a half weeks. For, oh, you're um, so polished today. Sorry? Yes, it, yes, it's a webinar for the Learning and Performance Institute. I'm still not sold on that title. We were the Institute of IT Training. We're now the LPI. Well, let's not bore everyone with that. No, let's not. I, uh, performance, I'm concerned about that. But tell, anyway, tell them they about want the to know all about podcasting and have charged me with telling their members all about podcasting. I can think of no one better to tell them. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Checks in the post. Yes, it's on the 24th, which is a Wednesday, I do believe, at 2pm UK time. And uh, it is available for everybody. It's a free event. So I shall put a link in the show notes. So uh, book a ticket and come along and support me. Otherwise, it'll be full of learning and development professionals. I'd rather it was full of Macbiters, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> 
well anyway you're all most welcome and uh, i did put the call out and say i want to include some uh, feedback from people in my presentation so if you could be so kind as to leave a review in in the um, itunes store that would be fantastic and uh, i also noticed recently in the last few days a couple of people have written blog posts we rate a mention we do. You've seen them? Yes, I was, I, it's fantastic. Yes, Jonathan Isaacs has written a blog post. Uh, this is my top podcast. Guess what number one was? Who? Us. Oh, thank you, yes, Jonathan. That's, there's another check in the post. And um, also, Ian, or Schweeper, as we know him, has uh, written a blog post all about his podcast that he listens to. I'm amazed. Where do you find the time? But we get a mention. So I shall put links to those two um, blog posts in the show notes. And who knows, they may well appear in my presentation. You'll be referred to, boys. You will be mentioned in dispatches. We're done, are we? No. Yes. OK, well, uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions, your comments, your queries by email to macbikesuk at gmail.com. Use a contact form on the website or send us an audio file. Not had one of those for a while, have we? No, but we'll, ex we'll extract one from somebody at some point. <laughs> OK, um, how about leaving a comment on the show notes at macbites.co.uk? Don't forget to keep sending in your Mac Love Bites and uh, like us on Facebook. Worth a try. <laughs> Sign up to the newsletter at mattbites.co.uk to keep... Um, the teeth have gone, haven't they? The They've gone. No, I've gone. No, my brain has gone, <laughs> if I ever had one. Um, yes, to keep abreast of everything that's going on at MacBytes. And uh, follow us on Twitter at MacBytes. Dad, you've done it again! Oh, yes! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> carry on. What was that? Nothing! <laughs> the teeth. The teeth. No, it's the brain this week. Twitter is not at macbytes.com. I couldn't afford the bandwidth. Is that, is it's that not even .com. So to start said? again. At least you keep their interest to the end. Mm, true. Follow yeah, us no, on the Twitter. The show is just so professional. It's unbelievable. Yes, the podcasting show will be... Um, the, the, the LPI webinar will be quite different. <laughs> he said. I'm not playing them the end of the show. Good grief, they'll be horrified. Get on with it. Twitter.com dot uh, uh, <laughs> Twitter.com slash MacBytes. <laughs> you can follow uh, me at Twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. Well, that was very well done. And you can follow me at Twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at Twitter.com slash MacBytes series. So until the next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Rank amateurs, I tell you. Rank amateurs.